Me? Good evening, beloved. It is a wonderful privilege for me to deliver the message to you tonight in the absence of our pastor. And may God bless you and may this word find entrance into your heart. With your permission, may I remove my jacket? It is a bit warm up here. Let's just bow our heads in prayer, please, for a moment. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Holy Spirit, won't you tell us more, more, more about that lovely name? Father, be exalted in our midst this evening. <clears throat> Kindly bless your word. And may we really find benefit from it. We ask that kindly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Beloved, I don't have a central scripture, so I just want, for the sake of good order, for us to just have three short portions of scripture read, uh, and then I will be able to explain to you why uh, we go about it that way. Now, the first one I'd like us to read would be Romans um, 5, sorry, yeah, 5.17, Romans 5.17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. It's a very, very strong verse. And then I would like us just to read a portion out of John 1. I don't know about you, but I fell in love with the gospel of John. <clears throat> it is so rich. In fact, I could have used the whole uh, chapter 1 until verse 18, and it would in essence have covered uh, the area that we will preach on tonight. But I'm just going to use verse 12 or verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then John 3.16, obviously, but you know, we always emphasize the first part, what God had done for us, and, and rightly so. But I want to emphasize the second part. We read the whole verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth 
in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Beloved, I'd like to talk to you tonight about the believer. And I know I'm getting old because I want to go back to my roots. They say if you start researching your roots, you're getting old. I want us tonight for a while to trace the roots of the believer in Jesus Christ. The believer, the product of two creations. The believer, the product of two creations. Four, three, two, one. You ask me, what is that? Those are the first four digits of my telephone number in South Africa. You say to me, now what has that got to do with the message? I'll tell you. Nothing. <laughs> it was merely to catch your attention and to make a statement about the scope that we will cover in the message tonight, God willing. The scope of this message would go across four dispensations, Brother Josh, of the believer. Innocence, the sinner in the period of the fall, Christ as the last Adam, and the sacrifice for sin in the incarnation, and then the dispensation of the believer, where you and I find ourselves tonight. But hallelujah, what I mean by that is a believer indwelt by the risen Christ and the Holy Spirit. The three, the three, the Bible speaks to three basic problems. It speaks to the sin problem, the union problem and the dominion problem. And all three of them will somehow feature tonight. The two, the two main characters, if you have to narrate the Bible around two characters, you can hardly do better than the first Adam and the last Adam. The subject of 1 Corinthians 15, the later, chapter, uh, later verses. And then one, the one stands for one common thread. You can either have it, and that is rightfully so, the last Adam is the common thread. But the last Adam in the believer is the better last, uh, common thread. So that is where I want to lead you to tonight, if possible. Let's start by tracing the roots back to our ancestor, Adam, the first creation. Why did God create Adam? The most plausible explanation is that God was somehow lonely. And God longed for fellowship with someone, some creature below him, but of a godly class, 
outside. The animal kingdom, thanks Mr. Darwin, God couldn't find fellowship in the animal kingdom. He couldn't find satisfaction for this yearning for fellowship in the vegetation kingdom or in any one of the other creatures that he had made. And I'm even surprised that God didn't find satisfaction or didn't find uh, uh, the angelic order as a source of satisfaction for his yearning for fellowship. Not even they could provide what God wanted. And then God decided, I'm going to create a special, distinct class of creature with whom I can commune. Can I say to you that Adam was a very excellent being? Adam could stand in God's very presence because of his innocence without feeling intimidated. Adam could stand in God's presence without sensing in his conscience any guilt. In a certain sense, we could say that Adam was as pure, as innocent, as wonderful, as lovely, as sweet as God himself. God said, I will create him in my image and my likeness. Can I ask you, who do you think was the mold? The last Adam. Colossians 1 says nothing existed apart from him ever. First John 1 actually corroborates that. So he, the mold was Jesus Christ the creator of everything himself. So I can't explain that to you, but it says to me that if you looked at Adam, you saw a good resemblance of God in him. And if you looked at Adam in terms of the likeness criterion, also he was very much like God. Let's look for a moment how intelligent he must have been. I think in the millions, you may differ, you can say it's in the hundred thousands, I don't know. He had to name all the animals, all the plants, all the insects, all the fowl of the air, all the fish of the sea. Give them adequate labels that endured until this day. And he had to remember them all because I don't think there's any duplication. To me, that's intelligent. And God wanted intelligent communication, fellowship. Let's look at his physical vitality. <laughs> Listen to this. Even after the fall... Adam still lived for 930 years. Century after century after century was required to bring this man to his deathbed. Why? Because he had so much still of the presence of God in him. The life of God that he was exposed to. Here's also a surprise. After the fall, there was so much 
physical vitality in him that he fathered Methuselah, who also lived 969 years. And it took almost a thousand years for mortality to drag him to his deathbed. So can you understand why I sometimes wondered if one made a comparison between the believer and his ancestor, Adam, which would come out the better? Rest assured, the believer (laughs) indwelt by the last Adam wins this contest. That's the lovely of this message to which I'll come. But there were two observations that I made. The first one, interesting only, I want you just to note. Adam did not have dominion over the spirit world. Maybe, we're speculating, maybe because he never had been exposed there to evil spirits until the devil started with his tricks. And yet, we as believers have spiritual dominion over evil spirits through Jesus Christ, our our risen Lord, the last Adam. And then another observation, which I want you to note, and this is the relationship between God and Adam was an external one. God visited, God was only a visitor with Adam from time to time in the evening breeze. And then they had fellowship and they communed. But hallelujah, I've got the risen Christ, the last Adam, as a permanent resident in my home. From a visitor to a permanent resident. And that makes me very excited. The fall, the fall. Man was not made for slavery. Man groaned every day to survive. He acutely felt the separation from his creator. Let's call it separation anxiety. And he was acutely aware that he did not have any dominion over the things around him anymore. And it was programmed in his DNA. Nobody told him that. He felt that. He knew that. Primitive man, universal man, ancient man. He was not made for this. Uh, And then, man tried to find his own ways to get back, to get contact again with his creator. (laughs) There was a cry deep in man's heart to reestablish contact with his creator. And you find that with ancient men in South America, in Africa, in Asia. They never talked to one another, but they had the same internal yearnings to reestablish union with their creator. And anthropologists now tell us this is where religion comes from. They then designed for themselves or devised for themselves all sorts of religious rites and things to do to try and find their way back to their creator. All religions have a golden past 
and a golden future. <laughs> and even in their primitive conception of their creator, that yearning remained. They wanted to reestablish contact with him. So what did they do? They established their own priesthoods. Without having had contact with one another, you find priesthoods all over the ancient world. They built their own altars and they put sacrifices on them. And at some stage, they even had human sacrifices because of their yearning for immortality. They thought if they could eat the flesh and drink the blood of these semi-gods, as they called them, they could become like God again. And, and they could experience through that a rebirth. Now again, our good friend Darwin has got an explanation for that. He says in that world, salt was a scarce commodity. <laughs> now Brigadier Lloyd, Colonel Gideon tells you that irrespective of the size of my salt craving, I will never eat your flesh or drink your blood. You're safe in my company. Rubbish. These people thought that that could make them again in a class where they can commune with their creator. Doesn't that remind you of our communion table? This, this happened hundreds, if not a thousand years before Christ. There was a sense of that type of communion. Now let me read to you in John 6. John 6, 53, I think. Yes, a few verses. Let's just read what Jesus said a few hundred years after that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Look at this one, 55 and 56. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. I just want us never ever to reduce the impact, the meaning of our communion table. Yes, in remembrance. But in remembrance what God had done, but maybe also in remembrance of this close union with him that is spoken of here. So they thought that that is the way that they would experience a rebirth. Rebirth is not foreign to modern man either. Go to any secret society. Name me a few that you belong to. <laughs> Illuminati or the uh, uh, Freemasons. They have rights for a rebirth. This is what they want you to do, to be reborn into their kingdom. It's absolutely and that is why I think when Nicodemus in John 3 came to Jesus in the night, Jesus was quite surprised that he didn't know what it meant when Jesus said, you need to be born again. And he's a rabbi in Israel. 
just as an aside. Man exhausted all his resources to try and get back to God. So God looked down in compassion and he decided to become flesh. He decided to become flesh. Why? Somebody put it very, very well when he said, God's initial yearning for fellowship made him create man. Fallen man's yearning for God, for fellowship again with God, moved God to recreate man. Hallelujah. So God in Jesus decide, I will become like them, go down, become like them, so that they can come, uh, become like me again. What condescension, bringing us redemption, that in the dread of night, not one faint hope in sight. God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win my soul. Out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe, he left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny. What a condescension. God became flesh, and he decided to walk a mile in our shoes. That was the only solution. And that brings me to something that happened to me very early this morning. You don't know the, trepida the trepidation that I was in for this message. <laughs> it, it was just as if it does not want to come together until in the early morning hours of today. And I woke up by about four o'clock or so, and all of a sudden I saw two sandals, old Mid-Eastern sandals, carpenter sandals, on a hill, vacant sandals. And I say, thanks, thank God. This, that picture could only have come from him because that made so much sense. I saw these two sandals. The man who walked a mile in my stead. Now, what is the story behind the two sandals? I picked them up. 30 years when, when the owner of those sandals was 30 years old. I picked him up in Nazareth. And he started the ministry. But he, he first went down. And I follow the tracks of the sandals to the riverbank Jordan. And the owner asked John the Baptist to baptize him. And John at first resisted. And he said, suffer this. We all must do, uh, because, uh, do, do the, the thing that makes us righteous with God. I don't know exact wording. Unto righteousness. <laughs> Unto all righteousness, he said. And then I see that his tracks go into the wilderness. I pick them up in the wilderness. And I see they're coming back from the wilderness, the owner full of the Holy Spirit after having been tempted. And then I pick up the tracks all over Judea where he actually started making his band of 12, his disciples and getting his team together. And then I, I pick up the tracks again and I see in Galilee, on the shores of Galilee and in Samaria and the rest of Judea, where he ministered 
to the multitudes. And then I pick up the tracks again at some stage and I see that these tracks lead to the courts of the Sanhedrin. But now they, they start to become just a single set of tracks. And then I pick the same tracks up in the palace of Pontius Pilate. And these tracks from Pontius Pilate, I follow the tracks and I see, oh yeah, they go into Herod's palace. And then I lose sight of them again. Then at some stage, in Via della Rosa, I see here are the tracks again, leading to Calvary. But those tracks now have blood marks on them. And the owner then went to the cross for the greatest exchange ever. You could bring your carnal life, give it to him as your substitute, and in return receive eternal life. And then the tracks stop again, and, and then at some stage, uh, you know, it came out again, and then I saw them moving up to a spot close to Bethany, where there's a hillock called Mount of Olives. And that's where I saw the picture. These two vacant sandals standing there. What was his last message? Let's read it in Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, 19 were the last words of the owner of those sandals on earth. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The owner of the sandals ascended into heaven. He got seated at the right hand of the Father from where he intercedes for us now. But now here we sit with the vacant sandals. And somebody else must step into them. The believer. The believer in him must now have the courage and the conviction in his heart to step into those sandals. He stepped into ours up to there. And now he leaves it to us to take it forward. But I want to make a very, very important point about that. I don't think God ever expected the track going forward looking different to the track going backwards. He wants the world not even to know the changeover. Because he is only, he was only the firstborn of many brethren. Romans 8.29. 
There shouldn't be a change over. You shouldn't see it in the tracks. It's a responsibility. But the one who goes forward with that must make the same tracks with the same integrity, with the same power, with the same convictions. Why? Because he said, I will be with you always. You're not walking. You're not taking those sandals on, on your own. The moment you step into those sandals, he steps into you. <laughs> and there, that is why these uh, 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 tracks that you are going to make will look exactly the same as the ones that he left behind. Are you still with me? I'm almost through. I'm almost through. It is very important for us to take up those sandals, but there is a precondition. The precondition, how do I get into these sandals, is rebirth. You must be born again. You must be born again to take on those sandals and become the new owner of them. One current, now it brings me then to the second creation. Remember I said to you, the believer, the product of two creations. This is the second creation. 1 Corinthians 5, 17, the well-known verse which says, If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Your past is new. Your name is new. The angels sing a new name written down in glory. I'm part of the family of God, a new family, a new inheritance, a new life full of the power, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and Christ in my life. Everything became new. A new creature. Uh, Galatians 6.15. Galatians 6.15 says, Not the circumcision. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. The requirement to step into those sandals is a rebirth. Through Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, is this really a rebirth? <laughs> or is this just by way of speaking? The word used for new creation there is kainos, the Greek word. And that means the first ever of this kind. <laughs> Brother, if you don't think we as believers are unique... This says it all. The first ever, not the latest one in a series, a new one in the same series. The first ever of this kind. A new creature in Christ. I am so glad there is no refurbishment in salvation. There is no second-hand business in salvation. There's no plastic surgery in salvation. A new creature that was born of Christ Jesus, the last Adam. Only a new creature worthy of these vacant sandals. But it's a drastic change. It's a drastic change. 
Let's take one example of a new creature, the Apostle Paul. He even had a name change. I should also have a name change now. He was Saul, and Saul was a a tall king. I think Saul actually meant, you know, head and shoulders above the rest. Very uh, noticeable. Big in myself. Paul means short and stout. (laughs) I'm not the one to see. See Christ in me. A new address. And this is Brother Josh by reverse logic. Okay, it's not in the scripture. If the drastic change takes Paul into a street called Straight, he must have come from Crooked. A street called Crooked. But it's actually true for the sinner. From a crooked street into a street called Straight. It's drastic. The Apostle Paul, a Jewish Pharisee, rabbi, becoming a sectarian brother, not even a pastor until late in his life, a sectarian brother. From a jailor to a jailbird for Christ. From a murderer to a martyr for Christ. Hallelujah. So that is, prepare yourself. That is how drastic it is to become a new creature. I am, give me another five minutes or so and we'll be through. How do I become this new creature? And this is Romans 6.4. Let's let the scripture do the talking. I don't need to comment on that, fortunately. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Ah, baptism again. (laughs) Why is it that people avoid the water? Uh, That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism has a connection with newness of life, with a new creature. And look at the change in wording here. For if we have been, now not buried, planted together in the likeness of death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that wonderful? The resurrection of the last Adam. Page over, verse 8. Now... If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Don't invite me to a burial where they sprinkle a little bit of dust on the forehead of the person they need to bury. I don't think it will work. 1 Peter 1 verse 3, and that is a verse that I often overlooked. I must say it struck me for the first time recently when I read it. We're talking new creature. To be worth, to inherit, to, to continue the course in these vacant sandals. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant, John 10, 10, I have come that they can have life and that abundantly. Mercy, listen to this, hath begotten us again. A second begetting. Another creation. Hath begotten us again unto a living hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to talk very quickly now. I just want to illustrate one point here, and then we, we start closing. On the opposite page, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It's very clear now that the mold is again the last Adam. It's the last, the likeness, the image of the last Adam. But the parentage of the believer is something that strikes me. It's very clear. The incorruptible seed of the father in heaven. He's the father. But who's the mother? The passion of Christ? The death of Christ? No. The resurrection of Christ? Yes. Unless we arrive in the resurrection of Christ, nothing has happened. And I am concerned if one thinks Christianity, Roman Catholicism, they have been keeping millions and millions of followers for 16, 17 centuries Weeping at the foot of the cross, not moving beyond it. The passion, not moving beyond it. I have yet to see when they devise a lit liturgy that would bring their people into the resurrection of Christ. Because that's different. Okay. Wonderful. Just remember that. I think it's very important for us. We must look like Christ. The firstborn, we must resemble our father. We must resemble our mother, which is the resurrection of Christ. Do I have the ability to fill these sandals? No, I haven't got it in myself. Yes, if he dwells with me in the sandals. If he dwells with me in the sandals and we inhabit the sandals together, we both fill the sandals and now I bring you in closing to the mystery of mysteries according to Paul. Colossians 1, 26, 27. Colossians 1, 27, 26. Paul likes to use the word mystery in, in more than one place. He actually uses it, but this is it. He says in verse 26, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Um, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 also says that. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He says, nevertheless, I live. I, I was dead. I actually arrived in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and Gave himself for me. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, 
don't you know that you are a temple? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost. And now you don't belong to yourself. So now if I step into those sandals, the one who steps with me into it, I belong to him. I belong to him. There's such a wonderful unity. Uh, Ephesians 5.30. I think let's close here. Ephesians 5.30. <laughs> Look at this unity. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Who are the church? The collection of believers. All right. Unity. I never thought I could use the words one flesh with Christ. That is how close this union is. And then to be effective in these shoes with him. There's a dependence on him. John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. And without me, you can do nothing. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. May this message really find entrance into your heart. I would like to close with what Paul himself says in Acts 17, 28. In him, I live and move and have my being. Romans eleven thirty six, For of him and through him and to him are all things. May God bless you richly. Amen.